Good evening, everybody. So let's begin by um, cultivating our motivation. And again, really feeling joy at having this opportunity to hear the Dharma and having an awareness of how precious the opportunity is. Because when you think of all the people in the world, how many people are actually listening to Dharma teachings at this moment? How many people have the interest, have the opportunity? So I think it's, it's important to respect that part of ourself that has a spiritual yearning and to respect all the work we did in our previous lives in order to create the karma to have the opportunity to meet the Dharma and listen to teachings and practice them. And so let's remember that we're doing this not simply for our own benefit, but in order to contribute to the well-being of the world, of the universe, in order to repay the kindness that we've received from so many sentient beings and to lead them, as well as ourselves, towards full enlightenment. So take a moment and cultivate that motivation. So I'm going to start with a question um, that somebody wrote in from last week, which was, do you do the four-point analysis when you're angry, when you're feeling entitled, you know, when there's something going on in your life? Yes, that's the best time to do it. Of course, we usually don't think to do it at that time, but that's actually... Uh, when it's going to be very effective because when you have a strong emotion and your mind is so totally bought into this feeling of I and you never doubt the existence of this I that you're experiencing that you think you are you know it's at that time when you know this really exists then if you're able to do the four-point analysis then it really has a, a strong impact on your mind. Okay? Um, but the, the trick is to try and do it at that time. Because uh, usually we're so caught up in the emotion that, that we forget about it. I had an, <laughs> something happen mm, over 20 years ago when I was at, uh, studying in, in France. And... Uh, at the end of teachings, the nuns would go over to the monks' monastery for teachings. And at the end of the teachings, one monk stood up and made an announcement that really ticked me off. And, uh, and he was a friend of mine, and so I let him know that I wasn't very pleased with this announcement. So we decided to just, you know, talk about it. And we, and we had this, you know, I was pretty angry, and I think... You know, he <laughs> probably was as well. But we we thrashed out the whole thing, you know, and finally resolved it. And then at the end, he looked at me and he said, "Oh, that was the perfect opportunity to observe the object of negation." But I think we forgot to do it. 
And that's exactly what the situation was because we were so bought into it at that time that we forgot. But if you can remember it, that's the time. And if you can't remember it, then afterwards when you're on your meditation cushion, then recall the experience, let that emotion arise, and then, you know, really uh, identify that feeling of self and then say, if... You know, that this self that I'm so convinced exists, if it really does, then it's got to be either one with my body and mind or separate from my body and mind. And then you start investigating and trying to find it and seeing if you can, can find it. Okay? So today we're going to talk about um, the selflessness of phenomena. And last week, we also did the selflessness of phenomena, specifically the um, impermanent phenomena, and we did it by um, examining whether things uh, arise from themselves, from others, from both, or causelessly. And then having negated that it was possible for things to arise in any of those four ways and still be inherently existent, then we conclude that those things are empty of inherent existence. Now, of course, as I mentioned last time, the, the second way, things arising from others, actually things do conventionally, nominally, on that level, arise from other. But here we're, we were examining to see if they arose from inherently existent other. So that's, that's the key on that, that one point. So today we're going to again talk about the selflessness of phenomena and specifically uh, dependent arising. Okay. So it's very important when we are meditating on emptiness to realize that we are negating inherent existence. We're not negating all existence. Okay. Because still on the conventional level, on the relative level, things do exist. And that's why the Buddha said that he doesn't argue with uh, people in the world about the conventional existence of tables and chairs and books and even the Olympics. You know, the Buddha accepts the, the conventional existence of them. Uh, and so all these things are known in the world like whole and part and how they're related and how uh, an object and its attributes are dependent on each other how a definiendum, which is the object that's defined, and its definition, how they exist in relationship to each other. So all these kinds of things exist, and they exist in a dependent, related way. Yeah? So this, by, medi- by contemplating how things exist in a dependent and related way, then we're able to negate independent existence because things can't be both dependent and independent and mutually exclusive. And so if you uh, establish dependency, then you have to negate independence and thus inherent existence. So that's what we're uh, doing when we're meditating on dependent arising. Okay, so... You know, we were talking a little bit, I just mentioned, you know, different things like holes and parts and how they exist dependently. So, you know, you have a sofa and then you have the parts of the sofa 
and how they depend on each other you can't establish something as the sofa unless you have sofa parts and you can't establish something as the parts of a sofa unless you have the whole which is a sofa so those two things exist dependent on each other um, similarly the uh, you know an object and its various qualities or attributes so you might have a table that's round and brown and made of wood all of those are its attributes round and brown and wood you know those are the attributes and how those attributes or qualities depend on the table and how the table depends on them okay because you don't have an inherently existent table that's free from having any kind of qualities or attributes okay in a similar way you don't have any kind of qualities or attributes of a table unless you have a table and similarly the agent and the action it's another pair of things that are uh, dependent on each other now you have somebody who's doing an action and then you have the action itself okay so you have swimmer and swimming okay or you have gymnast and gymnastic uh, what's the what's the action gymnastic swinging yourself from the high bars and the the, you know the action that the gymnasts do I can't think of the term for it okay or you have the the you know the volleyball players and the volleyball playing yeah so all these things exist in dependence on each other yeah I thought I'd better bring the Olympics into this into the talk somehow because I know that all of you are sacrificing your prime Olympic time right now to listen to this Dharma talk so I better acknowledge that supreme sacrifice uh, but you know if you think about it somebody can't be called a swimmer unless they do the action of swimming and you can't have an action of swimming unless you have an agent you know somebody who's doing it so those things exist independence upon each other okay? cause and effect also exist independence upon each other they, they aren't independent entities now before we were always talking about how uh, an effect depends on the cause because a cause is what transforms and changes into the effect and that's the way the lower philosophical schools see it but the um, Madhyamakas say that in addition to that also the causes depend on the effects not in the sense that the effects produce the causes because they don't effects always follow their causes but because something cannot be labeled a cause unless it has the potential to produce an effect okay and and something similarly something can't be an effect unless it you know has been produced by a cause so those terms that relationship exists dependent on each other you know and similarly you know going back to uh, some more examples of the agent and the object you have somebody who's feeling a strong emotion and then the person who's feeling it okay or you have the action of studying and the person who's studying you have the meditator and the meditating 
So all these things depend on each other. Okay. So I think this can be very, very helpful for us, you know, in our daily life as we go through, to just watch and see how things are dependent on each other. Because sometimes we really conceptualize them as as being totally independent. And so, for example, you know, leader and followers. And sometimes we get so angry at politicians and our leaders or CEOs or even our bosses, you know, and we feel like, oh, these people are inherently in this position of inherently existent power and blah, 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 blah. But if you really look at it, they couldn't be in those positions unless there were other people who were giving them that power. And unless there were people who acknowledged those positions. And unless and those positions are exist by being merely designated depending upon other roles that people play in the organization or in society. Yeah. So if you see that, then it kind of takes the, the zap out of, you know, any angry feelings about leaders because you see that they aren't inherently existent powerful people but you know they're in that position because there's people in other positions and because other people gave them uh, you know that title and gave them that power and how they don't have it absolutely they just have it independence upon others you know, because sometimes we think, oh, leaders, they can just do whatever they want. You know, they control everybody. They call the shots. Actually, you know, leaders are very, very vulnerable because as soon as the people they lead get fed up with them and rebel or pass different laws or complain, you know, the leader has to change. And, and you know, situations have to change. So, you know, contemplating this thing, how things exist dependent on other factors, really can help us see, you know, how things change, how um, they're not absolute positions in in any way. Similarly, like a reliable or a valid cognizer, a mind that sees an existent object and that reliable object of comprehension, they exist independence upon each other. And I think this one is especially interesting because sometimes we get the idea that there's uh, a reliable consciousness sitting out there in space somewhere just by itself being a reliable consciousness and then all of a sudden an object just kind of places itself before it and is apprehended. You know, and that that object is also out there objectively existent, uh, you know, without anybody or anything ever perceiving it. Yeah. And, and that's not true at all. Something only becomes, you know, an object of comprehension if there's a reliable cognizer uh, cognizing it, and something only becomes a reliable cognizer if there's an object of comprehension that it's perceiving or, or cognizing. So these things depend on each other. Uh-huh. So I think that that's quite an, an interesting thing you know, to get rid of this idea of subject and object just existing totally separately and independent of each other, but to see that they exist dependent on each other. Okay. 
And um, similarly, you know, when we talk about uh, even sickness, you know, you have the title, you know, whatever sickness you want to, you know, a cancer, okay? But and we, we, we hear the name cancer and everybody goes, Ugh! you know, as if it's some kind of inherently existent thing. But all it is is a label that's been designated on a certain set of symptoms. That's all. You know, aside from those certain symptoms, there's nothing else that's cancer. Uh, so I think this is very good, you know, to, to really think about when, when we have an illness, when we have an injury, because when we hold these things as being like absolute independent things, then they become, they, uh, you know, our mind really gets very reactive in, in quite a, an afflicted, you know, way. Whereas if we see that, that these illnesses and injuries are just labels given independence upon, you know, certain qualities, then the charge, you know, is taken out of them and the mind can relax. Okay, so think about this uh, in your life, this, this way of, of things depending. Okay, now this way of uh, this view of dependency and relativity is uh, how it's spoken of by the lower philosophical schools and by the Madhyamakas is different. It's like I was saying, the lower philosophical schools see that the result is dependent on the cause. They don't necessarily see that the cause is dependent on the result. And they don't uh, necessarily see things as existing by being merely labeled independence or in relationship to other things. You know, because they posit phenomena as having some degree of inherent or true existence from their own side. Whereas the Madhyamaka school, and especially the Prasangikas, say that there's nothing, you know, inside the object that makes it what it is. It only becomes that by our mind conceiving things and applying labels uh, that exist in dependence upon other phenomena. Okay? So, so uh, make many examples of this in, uh, in your, your life, you know? And it's, um, yeah, it can be very interesting. Okay. So when we meditate on dependent arising, it, um, it proves that things are empty. Okay, so the dependent arising is called the king of reasonings because it, uh, for several reasons. First of all, it applies to both impermanent conditioned phenomena and also to permanent phenomena. So I'll talk about that in a minute, how it applies to permanent phenomena. And, um, and also dependent arising not only uh, shows us emptiness, but it also shows us conventional existence. Okay? So dependent negates independent and points to emptiness. And arising shows that things arise, they exist, in, you know, depending on other factors. Okay? Um, now, the, the thing is that things 
to us seem to appear as if they had their own characteristics or their own nature and if they, that, that they existed that way, you know, autonomously in some way or another. And actually that appearance that appears to the mind is a false appearance. Okay, so you have the appearance of inherent existence and then you have when our mind assents to that appearance you have the grasping at inherent existence. So the appearance is a cognitive obscuration. The grasping at inherent existence, I should say the appearance of inherent existence is a cognitive obscuration. And the grasping at it is an afflicted uh, obscuration. And so an example that, that it can help us see this a little bit better is, you know, when we were little kids, we would look in the mirror and we thought that there was another baby in the mirror. Yeah. And you can see this with your kittens and your, your puppies too. You know, they look in the mirror and, oh goody, there's somebody to play with. And, you know, the babies start trying to play with the baby in the mirror and the puppies with the other puppies and the kitties with the other kitties. But there's no real baby or kitty or puppy in the mirror. There's an appearance and it's a false appearance and at that point the baby or the pet is assenting to that false appearance and grasping it as a real baby or, or kitty or puppy okay so that's an example of how it works now us as adults we don't we no longer assent to that appearance of there being a real person in the mirror okay but things still appear there's still a face that's in the mirror and it still looks like a person yeah but we don't buy into it now even though there's still that appearance okay so that's how we say that the appearance is false yeah because it appears to be a real face but it's not yeah and at our level you know, at least we're not grasping it to be a real face like we used to when we were kids. But it still appears and it appears in a false way. Okay. So all the uh, consciousnesses of sentient beings, so that means any being who is not a Buddha, all the consciousnesses of sentient beings except for Aryas who are in meditative equipoise on emptiness, have that false appearance of inherent existence. Okay? So, you know, this is what we're trying to negate and to really see as a false appearance. You know, and that it's simply a dependently arising appearance. And because it's dependently arising, it doesn't have its own nature. It doesn't exist from its own side. And so on. Okay? So the uh, Aryadeva said in the 400, uh, one of his texts, he said, that which arises dependently does not exist autonomously or independently. All of these things lack autonomous or independent existence. Therefore, they have no self. In other words, no uh, self-existence, no inherent existence. So the lower schools, philosophical schools, they refute autonomous existence 
by giving the reason of dependent arising. Okay, but but they only accept dependent arising in terms of causes producing effects. So when the Prasangika try and talk to the people from the lower schools about dependent arising, they have to teach them a new meaning of dependent arisings because the lower schools thought that it means things depending on causes and conditions. But for the uh, Prasangika, yeah, the dependent arising also includes dependent on parts, dependent on this relative kind of labeling like subject and object and defi- definition and definiendum and so on. And things also depend on um, being conceived and, and uh, given a name by the mind. Okay. So for, for the Prasangika's autonomous existence doesn't just refer to things that are independent of causes and conditions, but it refers to inherent existence. And so, okay, so what, what we're seeing here is there's a different definition of the ignorance that has to be abandoned, and so there's a different definition of the object of negation, and so there's a different definition of uh, what selflessness is. Okay, so for the lower schools, you know, they're refuting uh, things being autonomous, in other words, being independent from causes and conditions. But the process, and, and so that's one of the major uh, things of, of ignorance. You know, ignorance is holding on to things being self-sufficient, substantially existent. And, uh, and then dependent arising means dependent on causes and conditions. And so that's how they arrive at selflessness. But their level of selflessness is not as profound as the one that you reach through the Prasangika understanding. Because the Prasangika understanding is saying that the, the object of negation is, you know, inherent existence, not depending on the mind and on being labeled by, by uh, conception and mind. So that's a deeper way of dependence. You know, that has to be realized in order to refute that deeper level of ignorance which grasps at a more subtle level of uh, the object of negation, which is inherent existence. Okay, so I hope you're, you're getting this, you know. What I'm trying to do is show the special features of the Prasangika school and of this view of emptiness that we're learning now as compared to the view of selflessness taught by the lower schools. Okay? So also for the Prasangikas, and this is unique, dependent arising and emptiness are synonymous. Okay? That is, whatever is a dependent arising is empty, and whatever is empty is dependent arising. Okay? For the lower philosophical schools, Emptiness and dependent arising are not synonymous. Yeah, but for the Prasangika, they are. And uh, so this is, is something, it's quite a special uh, attribute. Okay. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the... Um, oh, I should say, 
before I go on, that although emptiness and dependent arising are synonymous, it doesn't mean that when we understand one, we automatically understand the other. Because there's degrees of understanding dependent arising and degrees of understanding emptiness. And so first, in, in our progress, we need to understand the coarse level of dependent arising, which is what the lower schools assert, that things are dependent you know, on causes and conditions. Okay? So that's the first level of dependent arising that we meditate on. That is not sufficient for realizing the emptiness of all phenomena initially because dependence on causes and conditions only applies to impermanent or conditioned phenomena. It leaves out the permanent or unconditioned phenomena. Okay? So, so just seeing dependence on causes and conditions isn't sufficient, you know, initially to realize the emptiness of inherent existence of all phenomena. But we do that, okay? We, we, we understand things depending on causes and conditions. And then that can help us, you know, in our realization of emptiness. And we also contemplate the more subtle dependent arising that things exist by being merely labeled in terms of name and concept. And then based on that, then it's possible to have an inferential uh, realization of emptiness. And after that, a direct realization of emptiness. And after you have the direct realization of emptiness, only after that do we begin to understand actually what conventional existence is. Because it's only after, you know, somebody comes out of the meditative equipoise on emptiness that they are able to realize the very subtle dependent arising that things depend by being uh, conceived by mind and labeled by mind. Okay? That things exist only or merely by being labeled by term and concept. Yeah. So the full realization of that level of dependence and of, and of that being the way that conventional phenomena are established, that only comes after the direct realization of emptiness. Okay? So, you know, it's, it's very helpful to know these kinds of steps in the process as you're going along because if you don't know that, then you might have some glimpse of something and then think you've realized emptiness and then, you know, get very confused afterwards because, you know, you're expecting that all your afflictions should be gone, but, you know, you're not realizing that, oh, you know, you still have to deepen your understanding of emptiness and you still have to establish conventional phenomena as subtle dependent arisings and you still need to accumulate more merit and purify the mind okay so it's very helpful to understand these stages of the realization uh, and you know I think I was sitting there listening to Geshe-Zopa today you know because our teachers say again and again and again you know emptiness is, does not mean total non-existence Things still exist conventionally, nominally, 
you know, we're negating inherent existence, but, you know, things exist dependently. And I keep saying that again and again. And I was thinking today that the reason they keep saying that is so that, you know, we're kind of like, you know, baby beginners in understanding all of this now. But we're getting that message loud and clear, you know, that we have to understand subtle dependent arising and that, uh, you know, emptiness and and uh, and dependent arising are complementary and that just having a direct perception of emptiness isn't sufficient. You also have to establish conventional existence after that. We're learning that very strongly now. And I think the reason is so that when, you know, sometime, I don't know if it's this life or in a few million eons, we actually realize emptiness directly, that imprint will be there so that when we come out of that meditative equipoise on emptiness, we'll go, oh, dependent arising. I still have to establish conventional existence and see how emptiness and conventional existence are completely complementary and not at all contradictory. Okay? So I think that they're telling us that so many times so that we remember it, you know, when, when the crucial time comes in our practice. Okay, so let's go on and talk a little bit about the emptiness of permanent phenomena. Okay, so remember, impermanent phenomena are ones that are products. They're often called things or functional things. And these are things that are uh, produced by causes and conditions. And because they themselves are conditioned, they become causes and conditions for other objects. But that's not all that exists. There's also permanent phenomena. And permanent phenomena are unconditioned things, and these are things that do not arise dependent on causes and conditions. Okay? But they do still are, exist dependently because they depend on their parts, they depend on their basis of designations, they depend on the reliable or valid cognizer that is apprehending them, they exist in relationship to their definitions. So even permanent phenomena are not some kind of absolutes out there that are totally unrelated to everything else. They're very related to everything else. Okay? So especially when we talk about the two truths, okay, conventional truths and, uh, and ultimate truths, so conventional truths, they talk about all the things that we see around us that are functioning, so all the conditioned things, and also all the permanent things except for nirvana and selflessness and emptiness. Those are all um, uh, conventional truths too. So for example, like empty space, space that's the lack of tangibility and obstructibility that is permanent it's not produced by causes and conditions it's an absence of, of obstructibility so remember all these things that are absences that are negations of things you know they're all permanent phenomena nothing created them you know they're, they're you can see that they're much more dependent on um, some of these things on conception than 
than other things are. But in any case, um, you know, we have all these conventional things around us, the book, the table, you, me, you know, the Olympics, the whatever, you know, all these are conventional truths. Yeah. Then the ultimate truths are the way that these things actually exist. Okay, their ultimate nature. In other words, when you probe, you know, with a, a, a probing awareness that, that is looking for the ultimate, the most profound level of existence, phenomena, what is found is their lack of inherent existence. And that's what emptiness is. Okay? The lack of inherent existence. So, even emptiness depends on other things. Okay? Why? So, emptiness is also a dependent arising. Yeah? Because actually, dependent arising just means existent. Because everything that exists is dependent arising. Everything that's de- that arises dependently exists. You know, dependent arising, conventional existence, existence, all these things come to the same point. And so does emptiness in the sense that all things are empty of inherent existence. Okay? But when you look just at the emptiness, you know, you might say, well, how is emptiness dependent? Well, to we often just say emptiness, emptiness, but actually it's more correct to say the emptiness of the sofa, the emptiness of the person, the emptiness of phenomena. Okay? So there's always a conventionally existent thing that is the basis upon which emptiness is established. Okay? So you have to have a conventionally existent thing to have the emptiness of that conventionally existent thing. Okay? Because, like I said, it's always the emptiness of something. So you have to have that something that exists, and it exists conventionally. But its mode of existence is empty of inherent existence. Okay? So it exists conventionally, it exists nominally because things, you know, are, are exist by being labeled by, by terms and concepts. Okay? But all these things are also empty. So at the emptiness of something and that thing exists dependent upon each other. Okay? So if you're going to talk about the person, okay, talk about Sam, okay? So for Sam, it's, you have Sam and you have Sam's emptiness. And those two things exist in relationship to each other. You cannot have Sam without having the emptiness of Sam. And you can't have the emptiness of Sam without Sam existing. Okay. So what you have is Sam, who is a conventional truth, and the emptiness of Sam, which is an ultimate truth, and those two exist dependent upon each other. So con- even conventional truth and ultimate truth exist 
dependent on each other. Yeah, don't think of ultimate truth as some absolute unrelated thing. Yeah, all we can only speak of emptiness if we talk of a phenomena that is empty. Yeah, because it's the emptiness of inherent existence of the clock. Okay, and the emptiness of inherent existence of the swimming pool. Yeah, so you have to have these conventionalities that exist in order to have their emptiness. Okay, emptiness itself is a uh, permanent phenomena. And nirvana also is a permanent phenomenon. And uh, these things, and we hear, here we have a little tricky use of words, okay? When we talk about conventionally existent things, okay, most of them are false. Conventional truths are falsities because conventional truths appear to the unenlightened mind that is not in the meditative echo voice. They appear truly existent, but they're not. Okay? So it's, we're coming back to that example of the face in the mirror. The face looks like a real face in the mirror, even though it's not. So the, the, you know, thinking that the, the face in the mirror is a false appearance. That's the analogy. You know, but what the thing is that conventional truths appear truly existent, inherently existent, existing from their own side, but they don't exist in that way. So conventional truths are falsities. They falsely exist because here false means something that does not exi- exist in the way that it appears when appear means inherently existent. Okay? So when we look, you know, uh, you're probably sitting where somewhere looking at a light or uh, looking at the telephone. Yeah? Those are conventional truths that conventionally exist, but how they're appearing to your mind, and my mind too, is false because they appear truly existent. They appear to be a real telephone out there and a real light out there. Okay? So they, they don't exist in the way they appear because they appear to have some objective existence. However, they do not exist as objective entities out there unrelated to the mind. So that's why they're called falsities. And it's said that they falsely exist. Emptiness, on the other hand, is true in the sense that emptiness exists the way it appears. Because whenever somebody is realizing emptiness, you know, the emptiness of phenomena, that emptiness is appearing empty. Okay, the emptiness does not appear truly existent. So the emptiness is true in that it exists the way that it appears. However, emptiness is not truly existent. Okay? So we have to, you know, 
I'm kind of pointing out these usages of words because if you don't understand them, you can get pretty tangled up. Okay? So emptiness is true because it exists in the way that it appears. It is empty and it appears empty. Okay? So emptiness is true in that it exists the way it appears. But it does not truly exist because truly exist means that it has some entity of its own independent of everything else. And as we've just seen, even emptiness is empty because emptiness depends on the conventional phenomena that it is the emptiness of. Okay. Meanwhile, the conventional truths are all falsities. They're called conventional truths. This is confusing. Now, why are they called truths if they exist falsely? They're called truths because um, to the appearance of the ignorant mind, they appear true. Okay? But they aren't really true because they don't exist in the way they appear. Because they appear truly existent, but they aren't. Okay, they're falsities, they falsely exist, but they still exist. And they exist dependently, and therefore they are also empty of independent existence. So, um, we, we have a few different usages of the word here, true versus truth versus truly existent, those things have different meanings. Okay, true means it exists the way it appears, for example, emptiness. Truly existent means that it has its own nature independent of other phenomena. Conventional truth means it's true to uh, an ignorant mind. Okay. Then we also have the expression ultimate truth. Yeah. And ultimate truth is emptiness. And ultimate truths are also true because they do exist in the way they appear. Okay. So ultimate truths such as emptiness, nirvana, selflessness, they are true. They do not truly exist because nothing truly exists. But they do conventionally exist. Because conventional existence means existence. Conventional existence is the only type of existence there is. So emptiness exists. How does it exist? It has to exist conventionally. So even emptiness is dependent upon name and concept. And it's dependent upon the phenomena that are empty. Okay? So emptiness conventionally exists, but it is not a conventional truth. Okay? Because conventional truths are perceived by the mind that's ignorant, and that ignorant mind can't perceive emptiness. So if emptiness is an ultimate truth, but it conventionally exists. Okay? So I'm, I'm trying to explain this in a clear way because when it was taught to me, it was not explained like this. And you heard these words in different contexts and you got so totally confused you couldn't figure out 
how they all related to each other. So I'm trying to like, bring them together so we get it a little bit. Okay, so this leads us into a discussion about the Heart Sutra. Okay, because, and we're not going to go over the whole Heart Sutra, but you know that we have the very famous lines in the Heart Sutra form is empty, emptiness is form. Uh, emptiness is not other than form, form also is not other than emptiness. Okay, so the, what I was just explaining, here is, is where we can really apply it. In, in the Heart Sutra. Okay. Now, one thing that's important to realize with the Heart Sutra is that when we say no eye, no ears, no nose, no tongue, and we go through all that whole list of you know, no attainment, no non-attainment, you know, and there's no four noble truths, and there's no twelve links, and and all these things. Even though it's saying no, no this and no that, we have to apply the term inherently existent there because saying there's no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind I mean clearly there are eyes and ears and tongues and noses and bodies and minds you know these things exist okay but they do not inherently exist so in the Heart Sutra they mention inherent existence very early on in the Sutra when uh, it says that the seeing that the five aggregates are not uh, also are not inherently existent, so you take that mention of inherent existence that's early on in the sutra, and you have to apply it to all these other negations. You know, when they when the you know Avalokiteshvara spoke the Heart Sutra, it would have been so awkward to say, "There's a no inherently existent eye. There's no inherently existent ear. There's no inherently existent nose." I mean, my goodness, he'd be exhausted by getting through the list. So he just says, no, I know you're not in this town. You know, and leaving it to us to bring that modifier of inherent existence into here, into, these, into this situation. Okay, so this is a very important thing. Yeah. And specifically, when it's saying, no, I know you're not in this town, nobody, no mind, and all the other things. What it's referring to is when there we somebody is in meditative equipoise on emptiness and perceiving emptiness directly, there is no appearance of conventional phenomena at that time. And because all these conventional phenomena appear inherently existent to all the unenlightened people who are not in meditative equipoise, yeah, there's absolutely no appearance of conventional phenomena or of inherently existent things at that time. Okay? So it's really referring that time to direct perception of emptiness, specifically on the path of seeing. Okay? So, so when it says that form is empty, it doesn't mean that form is totally non-existent. It means that form is empty of inherent existence. But form actually, and I'm using form as an example because it's the first thing, um, you know, that, that is negated. Form is actually dependent arising. Yeah? Because form here refers to uh, color, well, actually there in the five aggregates, uh, it's referring to all material things. Yeah? To physical things. So those things are all dependent. Yeah, they exist dependently. So, um, 
all those things are empty and the fact that they arise dependently is what makes them empty and the fact that they're empty is the basis that allows them to arise okay so here again we have the two truths ultimate truth and conventional truth dependent upon each other you have to have both of them you can't just have one so again don't think of emptiness as some absolute truth out there beyond unrelated to everything it's quite intricately empty that's what Lama Yeshi used to say emptiness is here right now you just don't see it so you don't have to search somewhere in some other universe it's right here right now it's the nature of everything that we perceive so when we say form is empty that's what we're getting at yeah so for you know I mean form feeling discriminations and so on I'm just using form but you know please remember it refers to all the other phenomena that all those things are are empty because they're dependent arising okay and when it says emptiness is form it's it's showing us not that emptiness itself is form because emptiness is an ultimate truth and form is a conventional truth and you can't have you know an ultimate truth being a conventional truth but what it's meaning when we say emptiness is form um, is that emptiness is what gives the space for you know form exists within emptiness okay so similarly when we say form is emptiness um, it doesn't mean it's emptiness it means form is empty okay so form is empty it doesn't truly exist emptiness is form because forms and all other phenomena arise within emptiness so in other words because things lack inherent existence therefore they they can exist dependently because if if there weren't emptiness and everything inherently existed then you couldn't you couldn't have any conventional truths at all okay okay so because things are empty therefore they arise as you know they can exist and, and play functions and and um, and do the different things okay if a certain phenomena ceases its emptiness also ceases okay so you know when the television set ceases to exist the emptiness of the television set also ceases to exist even though that emptiness is a permanent phenomena yeah so permanent doesn't mean everlasting it doesn't mean eternal it just means that while it exists it doesn't change moment by moment but a but a permanent phenomena can come into existence and go out of existence because when the television is built then the emptiness of the television exists when the television is destroyed the emptiness of the television disappears also because those two depend on each other okay then when we say emptiness is not other than form and form is not other than emptiness okay what we're getting at there is that the two truths um, exist dependent on each other yeah you can't have one without the other and that the two truths are actually true two aspects of the same phenomena yeah and so 
something that exists, it has its conventional existence and it has its emptiness. Yeah? So those two go together. You can't have them separated from each other. So emptiness is not other than form. Form also is not other than emptiness. Conventional things and their emptinesses are reliant and dependent upon each other. Okay? Emptiness is established by a reliable cognizer of the ultimate. Okay? And the conventionally conventional things are established by conventional reliable cognizers. Okay? So they have two different types of reliable cognizers that perceive them. And, you know, one can't perceive the other. So the the um the probing awareness that probes the deeper nature, it finds emptiness, but it doesn't find conventional things. Conventional things are found, are established by a, a, a conventional consciousness, a reliable conventional consciousness. Okay? So, they're established by different consciousnesses, but emptiness and the phenomena that are empty are dependent on each other. And they're two, like two sides of the same coin. And so sometimes you, you hear it said that the two truths are one nature but nominally different. And this is really something to, to try and wrap your, your mind around. You know, The two truths are one nature. That means that one cannot exist without the other. You cannot have conventional truth without having the ultimate truth and vice versa so they're one nature you can't have one without the other they depend on each other but they're not exactly the same because conventional objects like the picture and the lamp and the fan and the swimming pool and all these things those things exist falsely because they're appearing to the ignorant mind as truly existent even though they are empty of true existence so they exist falsely whereas the emptiness of all those things you know is an ultimate truth and is true because it exists the way it appears so you have the two truths being one nature meaning that they can't exist without each other but they are nominally different they're not inherently different. If they were inherently different, they would be two unrelated things. But they're nominally different, so they aren't exactly the same. But they are one nature. And so this is that, that really deep you know, realization that I was talking about before, that after you have the, the direct perception of emptiness, when you come out of that, that, that's when you establish conventional existence and that's when you really are able to see that conventional existence and emptiness uh, are non, you know, come to the same point that they're one nature but nominally different and that's the time when you see that uh, emptiness and dependent arising are totally complementary and not at all contradictory okay so, we covered a lot of material today. Think about it. Um, 
and we'll be talking about illusion-like existence next week. Okay, so let's dedicate, and then after we dedicate when we hang up, then please spend some time meditating and thinking about all of this. It's very fresh in your mind, so good to contemplate it. Okay, so let's dedicate.